0: Welcome back to another episode of Palm Peeps. We're always super excited to be here, be recording with some uh, excellent guests, and to dive into a new pulmonary and critical care topic. And I think today is one that's going to be really of interest uh, to everybody. Christina, obviously, I love always being here each week. How are you? How's your week going?
1: Hey, Furf. Yeah, going great. Um, I know. I always get excited when I get to see you. Um, I know that we're we're both busy, but this is my favorite time of the week when we get to record.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people that. They're like, How do you have time to do the podcast? I'm like, well, the prep is a lot of work, but the actual recording is just like a treat. So you can do it. Um, and we hope it's that way for our guests as well. But without further ado, let's meet them. Uh, so first we have Dr. Sidra Bonner, who is a general surgery resident at Michigan uh, University. She's completing her undergraduate education at Cornell University and her medical education at the University of California, San Francisco. Sidra is also a master's in public health and is focused in health policy, and she received that from Harvard. And she also has a master's in science health and healthcare research from the University of Michigan. She's interested in pursuing a career in general thoracic surgery with a research focus aimed at addressing the multi-level contributors to racial and ethnic inequities in access, quality, and outcomes of surgical care for patients with lung and esophageal cancer. I mean, could not be more excited introduction than that. This is awesome for us. Welcome to Poem Peeps. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show, Sidra.
1: Thank
2: you so much. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, Sidra, and you're our first surgical colleague, so a big win for us. So excited to have you on. (laughs) Oh yes, happy to be the
2: first. Hopefully, not the last.
0: There are a bunch of uh, IP folks who are going to be out there being like, "Ah, oh, Christina, we count a little bit." <laughs> that's
1: that's true. That's true. But Citrus um, Sidra, Citrus in a class of her own. <laughs> Awesome. In addition to Sidra, we're also fortunate to be joined today by Dr. Tom Valley. Tom is an associate professor in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Michigan. Tom completed his IM residency as well as chief residency at the University of Texas Southwestern and then joined the University of Michigan as a Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellow in 2013 and has stayed on um, and is now faculty and is a physician lead for the University of Michigan Schwartz Rounds for Compassionate Care. Tom's research aims to understand and improve medical decision-making in the intensive care unit and Tom, it's a true honor to have you joining Home Peeps today.
3: Thanks so much for having me. I love this podcast. So excited to be here myself.
1: So exciting! And I was telling Dave earlier. I think you know we owe Jack Awashna a big thank you for for connecting us and introducing us, who I know is also a fan of the show and a fan of both of you. But before we get started today, just do our um, general disclaimer. Uh, as a reminder, this podcast is not meant to be used for medical advice, and the views we express today do not reflect the opinions or policies of our respective employers. So first, let's get started.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So before we dive into the uh, excellent study that Sidra and Tom did, just want to take a little bit of background. Uh, we're going to be talking about pulmonary function tests today. And so, for a reminder, everyone is listening. You know, when we talk about PFTs, we're talking about really a collection of three tests. There, there are other tests we can add on to this, but generally, we think about spirometry, where we look for airflow. We think about airflow obstruction or um, some indication of whether or not we have uh, abnormal lung volumes. Then we can do more specific lung volume testing for a variety of methods where we look at the size of the lungs or we look at hyperinflation or air trapping. And then finally, we look at DLCO, which gives us a sense of gas transfer uh, in the alveoli to the capillary bed. Um, These are our cornerstone of pulmonary testing to look for obstructive or restrictive lung disease or give indications of pulmonary vascular disease and they're huge for all of our criteria uh, they if you listen to our li- recent lung transplant episode you'll see that a lot of the criteria for referral to lung transplant or what the timing are based all on your PFT progression generally when we talk to pa- I talk to patients I say these PFTs, we don't grade them on hard values anymore. We use a range of confidence intervals to see if you're compared to normal. And what that normal is, is a big question. And so I usually tell them that it's based on your uh, biological sex at birth, it's based on your age, and it's based on your race or ethnicity. But that's the topic of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, So Tom, can you give us a sense of why initially race-corrected pulmonary function tests were used in the first place when we were, saying what are the normal values for patients?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think that's that's the key here, right? Like we get these raw values from pulmonary function tests and then we translate them into what we call normal values. And and so I want to be clear from the start. And so I'd like to kind of start with the main point, which is, you know, we face the problems that we face today, speaking about pulmonary function testing, uh, because for a very long time, you know, for at least 250 years, we've made the assumption that race was an inherent biological trait, that we now recognize that this is flat out wrong, right? That race is a sociocultural, not a biological ph- phenomenon. And I also want to point out that like the clear leader in highlighting and disseminating the historical flaws in pulmonary function tests is Dr. Lundy Braun from uh, Brown University, right? Like who's really brought this message to the forefront. But our our current problems With PFTs traced back to early writings of Thomas Jefferson, who described differences in the lungs between white and enslaved persons. And then these writings were then expanded on quantitatively by two individuals, Samuel Cartwright and Benjamin Gold. Cartwright was a physician who was actually pretty important to our early understanding of oxygen metabolism. But in addition to that, he built his own spirometer particularly to document differences in lung capacity between white and enslaved persons. And from these experiments, he documented what he called a deficiency among enslaved persons, which he quantified at about 20%. And then Benjamin Gold would expand on this work by creating this massive survey of physical features of Union soldiers. And his data purported to find that uh, black soldiers who were often newly emancipated had lower lung function uh, than white Soul. And then these ideas were then expanded upon and entrenched in the 1920s and were commonplace until 1974 when a scaling factor was created for pulmonary function testing. What all of these things collectively failed to consider was the effect of racism, of social determinants of health on someone's lung function.
1: Thanks so much, Tom, for reviewing that for us and really kind of helping us set the stage for, for some of our questions today. You know, and as you mentioned, the, the use of race-corrected PFTs has faced some criticism, and be, and because of that, it could lead to both, you know, underdiagnosis as well as overdiagnosis of lung function and can have major clinical implications. And we know that lung functioning is a predictor of mortality in chronic lung disease. It could by, be a primary endpoint in clinical trials and can also be used in the evaluation for lung cancer surgery. Sidra, and I'm hoping you can comment on how PFT results are used when considering various surgical treatments of lung cancer. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a, a key motivating factor for the work that myself and
2: Dr. Valley did is you know the way that pulmonary function tests are used in surgery are very different than they are used in the diagnosis and categorization of medical pulmonary diseases. So in the case of surgery, typically we're using pulmonary function tests to delineate kind of based off of where the lung cancer is and determining what the anatomic resection is, we create this value called the predicted postoperative FEV1 value and DLCO. And we know DLCO is not uh, race corrected, but FEV1 is. And that value helps to determine who is considered high risk potentially for lobectomy, which is still the standard of care for pretty much all patients with you know, stage 1B or above uh, lung cancer. And so when we think about race correction and decorrection and removing, uh, you know, these race correction factors, that reduction in FEV1 may allow for us to better diagnose patients with asthma, COPD, or workers' compensation related to occupational exposures. But that reduction in that value actually may mean that a patient is perceived at higher risk of being a candidate for a lobectomy and may allow for surgeons or kind of interdisciplinary teams to offer other treatments such as wedge resection or radiation therapy. In the U.S., the current kind of cutoffs are greater than 60% for your predicted post-operative FEV1 is considered, um, you know, you can receive a lobectomy. 30 to 60% in the U.S. is considered like moderate risk, needs additional evaluation, and less than 30% is considered uh, contraindication for lobectomy. Those numbers are a little bit different in Europe. They use 40% as their cutoff. But you know, in our research, we found that overall getting or removing race correction using a race neutral equation would lead to a 10% reduction in that predicted value. Um, and we were able to show that that has significant implications in our randomization of surgeons, that they were less likely to offer lobectomy, particularly for borderline. Resectable candidates
1: based off of their
2: post-operative predicted
1: FEV1. Thank you, Sidra, so much for, for explaining that to us, you know, and really, you know, the implications of lung function, as you just mentioned, are so important in determining someone's, you know, future future course of management as well as therapy. So really understanding the impact of race-corrected or race-neutral values are extremely important and was the goal of the study that you and Tom did. And I'm wondering though, specifically, Sidra, can you comment on the potential impact that race-neutral or race-corrected PFTs can have for African-American individuals?
2: Yeah. I mean, I know we're going to get a little bit more into key findings, but broadly speaking, one of our findings in this particular study was that 94% of African-American patients who had undergone lung cancer resection across a series of hospitals who are a part of a quality collaborative, had race-corrected values at the time of their operation. So we know that this has huge implications for pretty much all Black or African-American patients who are undergoing resection for lung cancer in terms of their preoperative evaluation by surgeons.
3: There are really two things that I wanted to highlight what Sidra just said. I think the first is Sidra's study is one of the first, what will likely be a wave of studies. That highlights kind of the flip side of what we in Pulmonary were originally thinking about when it came to removing PFTs, right? I think the original motivator was we are underdiagnosing black patients with asthma and other conditions, right? I think SIDRA study is the flip side to that. What's the unintended consequence on the other side, right? Where now PFTs look worse after you remove race correction what's gonna happen to these folks when they have to get an elective procedure or a semi-elective or or urgent procedure that requires pulmonary function testing prior to that, right? And so, you know, I think one of the key things here that Sidra's saying is that PFTs are a gatekeeper, right? They are a number that we're using to decide whether someone can qualify for these potentially life-saving procedures. And that's why this is so important, right? This is an initial flag that says, okay, Let's keep moving forward with the evaluation, or let's just stop right
0: here. Yeah, thanks, Tom, for pointing that out specifically. I think it is really important to realize that you know by that we we're looking for the most accurate numbers we have, but by doing this, we always have to think about the implications on both ends. You know, it's not as if you can um, uh, change the values and then it has uh, only a positive uh, for increasing your diagnosis. You have to also think about the impact on the other side. And then I, I really like you know that you thinking about a gatekeeper because these are decisions. We're making based on like a risk assessment, which are inherently biased in medicine and inherently flawed in medicine. So now you add a number to it, which people love to latch onto. Then you can confirm or um, uh, corroborate any biases you may have beforehand, and so this becomes an even amplified problem.
3: That's right. We're using this number as kind of like a as a like a safety blanket, right? Like it's a number that makes us feel good. So okay, like. Let's go with the surgery, right? Or it's a number that we don't like. We can't do the surgery, even though this person in front of you might look great, right? They're running maybe a mile a, a mile a day, but like, hey, this number looks bad, so like, we can't do it. Um, so, so we're clinging to these numbers that may or may not be real,
0: right? Hundred percent. So, you know, to to dive in a bit more, you guys have referenced the study and the implications. I'd love to, for the people maybe who have not read the study yet, or who read it without having a group guide them along. I'd just love to dive in a little bit more about it. So, we were thinking, as you mentioned, the implications were removing race correction in PFTs for specifically African American or Black individuals who are crying surgery for lung cancer. And I know there could be many different approaches to this study question. So, Tom, I was hoping you could talk us through how you guys derived the method. Did you use for the study and then the ultimate study design?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, CIDRA study really has three main parts to it, right? The first part was really looking at the scale of the problem, right? We work as physicians, as clinicians in individual hospitals and health systems. So sometimes it's difficult to know, like, well, what's going on outside our walls, right? Like, I know, actually, I mean, many of us may not even know whether we race correct or not. Like, you know, I, I was in our division for probably five plus years before I found out that we actually don't race correct. Maybe we'll get into kind of some of the interesting reasons why we don't race correct later, but I didn't know that, right? For a long time, like you, Dave, when I had these conversations with patients, I just said, oh yeah, we correct for age, biological sex, race, and height. Like that was just automatic, but I didn't know we weren't actually race correcting. So we don't even might not know what's going on in our own hospital, much less what's going on outside. So the first thing Sidra did was just see the scale right? And so she and our team called hospitals across the state to see, do they race correct or not? And then the next part was to see, well, if they do race correct and they've done all these surgeries on folks, what would have happened to those folks if they didn't race correct, right? What would have happened to those folks' PFTs? That gives us a sense of like, would these surgeries have been more questionable if they had not race corrected? And then the final part is, I think, the, the coolest part, which was, is something you can't really do with observational data or real world data, which is like test what would actually happen if you did change these values. And so she surveyed thoracic surgeons around the country and randomized them to either get race corrected or race neutral PFTs and found that, hey, you know, like the actual values for this hypothetical patient were exactly the same. They're raw numbers exactly the same, but just the predicted, the normalized versions were different. And then we'll see results in a sec, but like, that's the key to this method, right? Like everything in this vignette about this patient is exactly the same, except for just the percent predicted, right? And I think it highlights the decision-making factor here, right? Just how important that 1% predicted can be in how we make these decisions.
1: Thank you so much, Tom, for walking us through those methods. And um, we'll definitely post original article that Sidra is the first author on and you're the last author on and came out in JAMA surgery a little bit earlier this year for those listening today. And I really think that the use of the clinical vignette was such an innovative way to assess your question. And I think, Tom, as you mentioned, though, looking at you know the scale of a problem across hospital systems, looking at thoracic surgeons, as well as, you know, what are the patient implications was a really great way to set the study up. I read the results, but eager to hear them from Sidra herself. And I'm wondering if you can highlight some of the key findings you want listeners to know, Sidra?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll kind of echo what the order that Tom went in. So across healthcare systems that we looked at, 94% of African-American patients prior to their resection had race-corrected values, which means This is ubiquitous. We were looking at healthcare systems that are academic, safety net hospitals, community hospitals, demonstrating that this, you know, widely is used in terms of kind of our surgical patients who are being considered for lung cancer resection. The second finding in terms of what, how would their PFTs have changed had they not been race corrected is what I mentioned earlier in that their percent predicted post-operative values would have decreased by nearly 10%. So if they're, you know, prior to their operation, if they had had a right upper lobe lung cancer, and it was predicted that their post-operative predicted value would be 50% after receiving lobectomy, that actually would have moved them to 40%. And so that was a significant change. And then the last thing that we found when we did our clinical vignette um, randomization, which we had 225 surgeons across clinical practice across states, we found that there was almost a 30% reduction in terms of offering a lobectomy in our particular clinical vignette. So surgeons who were randomized to a race corrected patient or the patient whose values were race corrected, they were offered lobectomy 80% of the time. Our patient or clinical vignette that had race-neutral PFTs, surgeons offered lobectomy 52% of the time. So staggering in terms of that small change, only one thing changed in terms of the clinical vignette, but saw a significant effect in terms of the decorrection value.
0: Yeah, those are truly uh, astounding numbers. If you think about the years after a lobectomy surgery or a a surgery for either temporization or curative intent for lung cancer, you know, there's just a staggering number of life years that are impacted by that 30% reduction. And then, you know, in, in thinking about making your clinical decision making, I think we in general in medicine are very tied to uh, like abnormals and normals. And we think less about the actual numbers and the physiology that underlies that. We try to stress that on this show if we can. But if you see a 10% predicted load, I mean, it's hard to ignore that, right? And uh, especially if you're not 100% sure what factors you could use to say, oh, these are reassuring aspects of the test or not. I'm curious if when you design the study and we're starting to go through it, if this were the type of results you were anticipating, if you were surprised by the scale Scope, um, uh, or in what your process of going through the study and gathering the data was like.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we were both pretty shocked by the degree of difference in terms of the surgeon decision making. I think we, and like, hypothesized that the, you know most patients would have race corrected values, but when we're talking about a thirty percent change in decision making in terms of what surgeons would offer patients, I think it raises so many important follow up questions around you know, are surgeons aware that race correction is happening currently? How are we going to de-implement this such that providers, physicians across specialties are aware of these changes? But I think the thing that we were the most concerned about when we saw these results were the implications for black patients, knowing that already for decades, you know, two decades worth of research shows that black patients are somewhere between 15 to 30% less likely to receive lobectomy already. And so what does this mean in terms of potentially worsening known inequities in terms of particularly treatment for early stage lung cancer? And are we going to potentially make this worse or that inequity worse between um, Black and African-American
1: patients and other patients? Thanks so much, Sidron. Such an important question. And I know we'll get to that in a minute. But I'll just ask, Tom, if you were surprised by any of the result findings as well and any limitations of the study that you think are worth noting at this time?
3: I think one of the key things there is like, this is happening, right? Like this is going to happen. So in the interim, we need workarounds to make this as soft a landing as possible. Right. And so I know within the VA, there's been a lot of talk in terms of how do we implement this at a national scale when all of a sudden, you know, PFTs dramatically drop or potentially increase depending on your race. Um, how do we try to flatten that curve a little bit um, to make sure that like um care doesn't necessarily dramatically change as a result of raw values that haven't changed at all and so how do we educate clinicians how do we put you know um, disclaimers or something that says hey you know we no longer race correct on this date you're going to see a change in pfts like i think those things are going to be incredibly important workarounds educationally in terms of clinical care i think the other factor here is you know yo it's 2023 right like why do we not have a better way of measuring someone's lung function, right? Like all we want to know is how is someone breathing, right? And like, we're still using these historical flawed things. Why don't we have a better way of doing this? Do all these workarounds, but ultimately we need a better way to assess someone's lung function.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, you know, I feel I hope it's not nihilistic to say but I think you like raised such a good point there's just no way that people are not going to look at you're adopting a new software or a new change this is the dollars and cents that are going to change in number of surgeries doing providing less healthcare is generally less expensive, right? And so I'm not saying that anyone's gonna be consciously making that decision, but I mean these things are going to come up and we have to be thinking about them up front um, to be able to help inform the argument. So such a great point. Sidra, so, I'm really curious about for your own practice, if this influence at all, you know, one if you're a POM fellow and you're studying for your boards, one thing you'll see is the operative risk assessment, right? And that moderate risk group goes to a steep pet or a or a shuttle walk study or a six minute walk, you know, depending what you have. I've always actually loved that. And in fact, in my own practice, I feel like I find CPETs PETs to be much more telling. Um, obviously, it requires a little bit more uh, or intensive workup. Have you, sort of, on a day to day basis, seen a patient and said, like, eh, you know, maybe these numbers like this, like, we should think about this other testing? Has it uh, implicated the way you practice?
2: So, I think this is exactly where it is going in terms of surgical decision making. The Society of Thoracic Surgeons actually came out with kind of a invited commentary piece based off of the American Thoracic Society formally recommending the end of race correction and PFTs. And this was a huge component of their discussion was how do we really think about these adjunct studies and the utility of them and you know now we get into for some patients even race corrected pfts there's a couple of thoracic surgeons that i've been working with on that working group who've said they've had patients actually their insurance will no longer cover pfts if they're race corrected and so then we get into like will these other studies be able will patients get be able to get them if they haven't had their pfts done but i do think that really thinking about these other diagnostic studies that we have available that are potentially more holistic evaluations of pulmonary function are gonna become so much more important in terms of operative risk assessment. And I think we, at least at University of Michigan, are thinking a lot more about them. But I think, you know, this extends beyond just lung cancer resection, right? Patients get PFTs for cardiac surgery, they get them for lung transplants, they get them for all these other procedures that we do. And so really thinking critically about how are we going to really evaluate lung function as surgeons, I think we're at that time where um, leaning on these other tests is going to become probably more of the norm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you both. If by the end of my career, we're still implicating generic VQ mismatch, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and not have a better study for it. Uh, well, this was a really enjoyable discussion. Thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing and continuing to do it and for coming on the show to share it um, and, and help our listeners incorporate into their practice. Uh, we always like to end the show with a takeaway point that we want our listeners to rem- remember from our episode today. Tom, I'm going to steal your one of your opening points of just saying that thinking about risk. Race or ethnicity is a, a biological trait that is going to have implications for your physiology, is the incorrect thing. And you should be thinking about this more, uh, really, race, about a, a socio political cultural construct that has lots of different uh, meanings. And so we have to incorporate that sort of definition into our understanding of medicine. Uh, Christina, what's yours?
1: Yeah, well, first, I, I love this. Um, the last thirty minutes we spent together, you know, I feel like it was somewhat of a round table, but our own personal journal club. Um, so really liked, really liked our time together. And I think two things quickly. Um, Tom mentioned, you know, just I think it's important to know like what's happening at your institution, right? If you don't know, ask and figure out what's going on. And then I think as Sidra mentioned, um, I hadn't realized that you know some insurances you know may not cover PFTs if they're not um, race neutral. So so that was something I, I had not heard before.
0: So, do you have a takeaway for our listeners?
2: Uh, that this is a like this is something that is going to impact all of our patients. I think my, you know, as the first surgeon, I feel obligated to say there needs to be, you know, more communication. I think between thoracic surgery and pulmonology, especially because we will be working together, taking care of these patients. So, making sure that we as surgeons are more educated, I think, is going to go a long way. I
3: love it, and Tom. Yeah, I think um, you know we kind of, we hit on this kind of throughout, but like you know numbers often make us feel good. They make us feel feel like we know what we're talking about, but like ultimately we got to take care of the patient in front of us, right? And so you know if if the numbers don't fit with what's in front of our face, like we should probably ask some more questions about what's going on
0: absolutely absolutely well thank you both again for coming on the show thank you all for tuning in and listening we'll be back in two weeks with another episode uh make sure to visit our website uh, like us wherever you're doing social media or things like that and uh, uh thanks for joining this episode was written produced and edited by myself and christina montemayor The music's original music by eric rogers and we'll see you next time